It is great to be in the house of the Lord today in Union Gap, Washington. I tell you, I, uh, you can be seated when, you, when you're through giving. I'm, I'm never um, understand the goodness of the Lord and how he can love somebody like myself, like us. We're not worthy, but he loves us anyway. And he would do it just like we came all the way across the country to be with Annabelle and be with Caleb and his family during this time. He would do anything for us. He loves us that much. His faithfulness is amazing to me. Even when I don't deserve it, we sang about it here this morning. He still works for me. He's still doing the best for me. I'm kind of spoiled because he, he takes care of me, and I'm thankful for that. I want to sing a song today that just talks about the, the faithfulness of the Lord, and uh, it actually asks, if there's anybody here who's found him faithful, say amen. Hallelujah. Y'all worship with, together as we sing this song. Hallelujah. We're all on a journey And we're called to walk by faith There'll always be the mountains And valleys in our way But right here in this moment May our strength be renewed As we recall what God has done And how we've seen Him move if there's anybody here who's found him faithful, anybody here who knows he's able, say amen. And if there's anybody here who's seen his power, anybody here brought through the fire, say amen. Anybody here found joy in the middle of sorrow, peace in the storm and hope for tomorrow, and you've seen it time and time again, just say amen. Through the darkness, it gets hard to see. But be bold and courageous and follow where He leads. Greater is the one who's in us than he who's in the world. So, child of God, remember the battle is the Lord's. So, if there's anybody found him faithful anybody here who knows he's able say amen yes if there's anybody here who's seen his power anybody here brought through the fire say amen anybody here found joy in the middle of sorrow peace 
in the storm and hope for tomorrow. And you've seen it time and time again. Just say amen. Just stand and testify of the greatness of God in our lives. And if there's anybody who's found him faithful, anybody who knows he's able, say amen. Yes, if there's anybody who's seen his power, anybody who brought through the fire, Anybody here found joy in the middle of sorrow, peace in the storm, and hope for tomorrow? And you've seen it time and time again. Just say, Amen. Just say, Just say amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't you just have a time of prayer there? I feel the spirit of the Lord. He's moving in this room. He's been moving all day. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Spirit of the Lord right now. Come on, just lift up your voice and speak to the Lord for a moment. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for being my God. I thank you for being my King. I thank you, Lord, for making a way in my life, Lord Jesus. I thank you for being the answer that I've needed, Lord God. I thank you for being the joy that I need, Lord Jesus. I thank you for being the strength that I need, O oh God. Lord, I'm thankful to you. Lord, I'm thankful to you. Hallelujah. I'm thankful to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I thank you, God. You hold the answers, Lord. You hold the answers, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. I'm going to dismiss our children to their class today. I'm thankful for the presence of God that's here, manifested. You know, his, his presence is always here, even on a you know, Thursday afternoon when nobody else is in the building, because God is everywhere. But he, he chooses at times to manifest himself in his presence. In, in certain and special ways that he may not necessarily do on a uh, off day, so to speak. But when we're here, when we're gathered here, 
as the body, that's when we bring an element. We bring an element of His Spirit that is not here otherwise, but we all need. Isn't that amazing that I and you play a part in the element that's brought here? And then we receive strength from it. Amen. I remember a time, the Lord has been bringing this, this back to me some in the last few days, but um, I remember a time when I was, uh, I was seeking just kind of some regular counsel from, from a man of God and, and uh, you know, we were just needing some direction for my family, needing some, some direction for decisions and, decisions and choices and and all that was made, and it was it was kind of tied up in a, in a bigger uh, situation, and um, it, it, the the similarities that to what I was going through and what we were going through in that circumstance have been ringing to me for uh, for some time now, with us as a as a as a state as a, as a county as a state and our nation and all the things that are going on. Um, if you if you think that what we have been experiencing for the last uh, ten months or so is only a health issue, well, I have news for you. It's not. What I said, it's not only a health issue. There's a health element, and 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 we take that seriously, and we're aware of that. Um, but there's it's a part of a lot of things that have been going on and taking place in. In our world, and what this man of God he said to me back uh, years ago about that that situation that we were going through, he said, "There's an undercurrent of chaos." And I thought, "Wow!" And he says, "I he he was in several states away, and he said, I can feel it all the way here in my state. I can feel what's related just to that situation where you are." said there's an undercurrent of chaos and if you've ever been to uh to uh, the ocean or the beach or whatever maybe been in some water and you real you've actually felt what an er undercurrent is you know you, you can go stand about knee deep in some water when the waves are coming in and going out and all that and, and what's going on at the very very bottom is different than what's going on at the top at the surface and, and what I've been feeling is that at the surface, we as individuals are doing our best to hold things together, doing our best to, to put on a smile, doing our best to, to be an encouragement to other people and, and show some faith and express faith in God through a difficult time. But there's that undercurrent. And uh, that's just what I've been feeling the last probably, I don't know, 24 hours or so, maybe less, is an expression of that. Now, I'm just, I'm just mentioning it to you. How and, and, and when the Lord decides to, to deal with that and take us there individually, that's between he and you and he and me. But I don't want you to... To, to feel like it's something that we just have to gloss over 
or feel like it's something we just need to, you know, not be aware of or try not to uh, engage in something like that. The Bible says that I, this term was, has always been so interesting to me. It says, Jesus was a man of sorrows. I mean, what are you talking about? First of all, he's the express image of God, the creator of the world. He has all power. I mean, what's he, what does he have to be sorrowful about? If he wants a taco, he can just make a taco. That'll take some sorrow away. You know, if he wants uh, two family members to get along, he can just orchestrate some events, and there they are. What is it that he's feeling sorrowful about? Well, the scripture also says that he was at all points touched like as we are with the feeling of our infirmities. And our infirmities, it's not just sickness. That's a part of it. it is a, if you have a physical ailment of some kind, that's an infirmity. But it's any kind of weakness that you feel, that you, that you have. Maybe even it's an expressed weakness of your body, your, your personality, your whatever it is, or maybe it's an internal thing that you just always are struggling with and just, I wish, you know, I didn't have this weakness. Well, that's what the scripture means when it says that he was a man of sorrows. He felt everything that you feel. He, he lived in a time when there was no telehealth appointments with your doctor. And he had to actually drag his feet through the sand. And he had to actually, you know, drink a cup of dirty water. He, whatever it is, he had to do those things. And so he could be touched with our... He relates to our feelings, our infirmities. So I, I, I'm just... I, I guess I'm putting the enemy on notice as much as anything else, but I'm wanting you to be aware... There's nothing that I'm going through that God can't help me with. There's nothing that I'm going through that I'm facing, that I'm dealing with, that I have to just get through it on my own or just continue to ignore it and hope that one day it gets better. No, He is there. He's there. Amen. I'm going to invite Brother Hart at this time. I asked him to, to take some time today and minister to us. I'm thankful that he's here to speak to us today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, it's okay with you on a Sunday morning. Um, I'm going to move down. Is that all right? To ground level. There we go. It's already, uh, I remember the first time I ever spoke at this church, I was like, man, that pulpit that you're supposed to be able to hide behind is clear. <laughs> there's, no, there's no hiding behind that thing. So uh, it's a little, little less nerve-wracking being on ground level. Amen. I, um, I definitely can relate to what uh, Elder Flowers speaking about, and um, even just this morning, I was praying and just talking to God about some things that I was feeling like I'm dealing with and emotion and just whatever it, feelings. And I feel like the Lord kind of checked me and, and said, you, you know, sometimes you can be too quick to take ownership 
of those things that you're feeling with what's going on around you. And uh, I've definitely been guilty of that. And so just as a reminder, there's, there's so many things in the world, so many spirits just floating around out there that you're going to feel the emotions of, you're going to feel the you're going to feel the pressures that the world feels, that your coworker feels. You'll feel that as you interact with those people sometimes. But we can be too quick to take ownership of that as our own feeling. And that's why we have to cast our care on the Lord. Amen. So I'm so thankful to be in the house of the Lord, though, in the midst of this chaos. The world out there needs Jesus. And I'm thankful that we know Know who he is. Amen. Have that revelation. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and can turn with me to the book of Judges. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, you can see it on the screen. <laughs> or you probably can pull up your, your phone app, too. I won't, uh, won't judge you for doing that. Amen. Before I read, um, I shared this with Sila but, um, a couple weeks ago before I came over here. Just an observation I've noticed in my life of growing up in church, and it's that um, you know, for whatever reason, lifting our hands sometimes can be kind of kind of awkward. You know, especially if you've not grown up in church, it's not a normal thing t- to you. Um, we, we, don't, we may not really understand what the point is of lifting our hands in a service and as we sing. And, um, and I don't have a full Bible study on that to give you right now. But I've noticed just through simple observation, the liberty that comes for people when they say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to surrender. And I, I gave the example in Sila when certain people are, you know, they're praying and they want to receive the Holy Ghost. They want deliverance. You'll notice maybe their hands will start down here. And then as that deliverance comes or as the Holy Ghost comes, you see a shooting up of, of their hands oftentimes. I've seen it many times. People just, just, it's like there's a breaking in their spirit and in their, in whatever just is going on, the shame, the guilt that, that may be holding their, physically can even feel like it's holding your hands down. And when the Holy Ghost fills you or when you feel that touch of the Holy Ghost and you just decide, I'm surrendering to this, I'm yielding to this. Man, there's a liberty that can come, and there's such a, such a powerful connection of, of our physical posture and our physical position and a spiritual encounter with God. I, uh, even now still, growing up in the church, sometimes I kind of wonder, you know, when we, we say terms like, let's, let's fellowship with the Spirit of God, or let's respond to the Spirit that's here. And Again, I've grown up hearing that, but the world in Hollywood has made spiritual things weird and the world and and Hollywood has tried to portray um, with horror movies and with you know supernatural movies and all these shows that it's tried to give its own picture of what the spirit world looks like and it's deception it's it's a lie of the enemy but the spirit of God is very real and as as elder said it's 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 omnipresent it's always here but we have the choice of whether or not we're going to engage or whether or not we're going to interact with that. And oftentimes our, our posture, our physical posture, can contribute to that greatly. Um, last week when 
My, it was my dad who was here and spoke of how, as the body of Christ, each of us have a responsibility of engaging in a service and yielding to the flow of the Holy Ghost. And, and that's done physically. It's, it's a spiritual thing, but it's done with our physical response and our physical posture. Yes, you can receive the Holy Ghost sitting down. They says they were sitting in the upper room when they received the Holy Ghost. But sometimes there, it's the reason we say, let's all stand, and, and we pray, and we lift our hands. It's, it's not about the, the routine or the religiosity of standing and sitting, and we're not about that, if, if you haven't realized that yet. We care less about religion and routine, but it's, it's sometimes just there's a power in our, our physical posture and response to the Lord. So I just uh, felt to sort of share that as a commercial, I guess, to the message. <laughs> um, but as I said, I feel a witness with um, what Elder says about that, about the undercurrent. And I think I uh, may sort of talk about that today. If uh, you want to turn to just the first chapter in Judges. And just to give you sort of some background, um, Israel, they became a nation and ch children of God, um, seed of Abraham. And then you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then, um, then they went into bondage. They went into captivity in, in Egypt. And then they were delivered. Um, the Lord rose up Moses, used Moses and Aaron to deliver them. You have the whole book of Exodus where they're in that deliverance process, which is a uh, symbolic to our life and the sanctification that happens in our life, trying to get through the wilderness and make it to the promised land. And uh, then you go from there to a lot of the law and the things that God sets in place. And, and then you realize this pattern of the children of Israel before they ever even get to the promised land with the memory of Egypt still in the back of their mind and where God's brought them from. You see uh, Moses go up onto the mountain one day to fellowship with God, to get some direction and, and instruction from God. And you see the children of Israel turn to, and we actually talked about it a couple weeks ago, they turn to an idol, something that they made with their hands out of a natural thing. And they tried to say that that was, like Brother Flowers used the example of the plant a couple weeks ago, that's, that's a physical thing that that people could try to say that that thing, that idol that, that they made with their hands is the image of God. And of course, it's, foolish, it's foolishness. And we see this pattern of, of Israel, just the constant kind of roller coaster of getting right with God and God delivering them and then them going back into to their sin, back to the gods of this world, back to the, the gods of the people of the land that they are going into. And so Judges is, is right after the book of Joshua, and Joshua was kind of the second-hand guy to Moses and c continued leading the people, and, and then as time would have it, he died. And it's interesting, the pattern of the children of Israel, when one of their leaders, one of the men of God, would, would die and pass away, it seemed like that pattern would repeat itself, where they would continue and turn to sin. It's like they had no stability in relationship with God themselves. They only depended on the man of God. And um, as, I was, as I was praying about this this morning, I, I was kind of checked and 
because I'm so thankful for the man of God in my life, the men of God in my life, and I'm thankful for, for our elder, for Elder Flowers, and as it was said last week, you could feel his, his absence on Sunday morning, and because he holds a spiritual place here of authority in this congregation, and we need that to be saved, amen, we need that submission, we need that authority and direction in our lives, but at the same time, we can't come on Sunday morning, and we can't come on Tuesday night and expect Elder Flowers to get us to heaven and us not do our part, <laughs> right? And yes, he's going to hear from God. He's going to deliver a word from God. He's going to give you direction. He'll, I'm sure if you need to talk to him or, or myself during the week, you can, you know, counsel and those things are God-ordained, God-given. But at the same time, God desires an individual relationship with every single one of us, a relationship where he can speak to you and I and in a place of prayer and tell you, you know what? Yes, be submitted to the man of God, be submitted to your elder, but you need to get direction on this issue in your life from me directly. And then you can check it with your elder and say, hey, I feel like this is what the Lord spoke to me. I feel like it lines up with the word of God. What do you think? And uh, I've just learned that's kind of how, how submission works and uh, good way to stay the course and be safe. And so the children of Israel, they kind of didn't really have this figured out. Um, and I'll, I'll skip a lot of what I could say, but in chapter one, and I'm trying to find it here, I didn't even underline it or I, I really got to get better about writing notes. But somewhere in chapter one, you can go back and read it. Um, it might even be chapter two. Um, chapter 2, verse 11, it talks about how the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord of their fathers who'd brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they fathered, followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. They, they allowed the influences and the gods of the world, that the people of, of those nations they were going into, they allowed those things to, to affect them. Uh, and then that's where the judges come into place. God raises up judges to uh, essentially deliver them every time he turns them over to the hand of, of the enemy. And you'll realize here at uh, verse 20 in chapter 2, where I was trying to get to, it says that the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, and if, if you're seeing a little bit different, I'm reading out of the um, New King James Version, so it's a little bit modernized, but... So verse 20 in Judges chapter 2. Anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So you notice that, that, that the Lord, in his anger towards Israel and their continual sin and, and evil, he said, you know what? I, I, if, you would, if you would yield to me, yield to my plan, my process, I could immediately 
drive out all these people in this land that I've promised you. But because of their repetition of sin and evil and constant going back to serving Baal and the Ashtoreths and all those things, he said, I'm going to leave these nations. I'm going to leave these people, these influences, as a test to you to see if you'll still trust me, if you'll depend on me and realize that I'm the one true God, that I'm still the God that delivered you out of Egypt. It wasn't and it's amazing when you read the story of Egypt, and I'll try not to get too sidetracked with it, but you, all of those plagues that, that the Lord did in, in Egypt, they were literally a, a smack in the face to an individual God that the Egyptians had. Every single plague, every type of plague that the Lord sent, the lice, the frogs, the darkness, every one of those things was him declaring to each different type of God that the Egyptians had that, you know what? Nope, <laughs> you're not it. I'm the one true living God. And Israel had to recognize and realize this as well because they lived in Egypt for those 400 years and now they, they're brought out by the, only the hand of God. And so now they're sort of in the same pattern of being oppressed by these nations and chapter 3 kind of quickly goes through a handful of the judges, um, Othniel and Ehud and uh, Shamgar and then Deborah or Deborah. Uh, and then if you'll turn with me to the book, or not the book, the same book, uh, but the chapter, chapter 6. Trying to hurry laying the foundation here. The Judges chapter 6. Probably a more familiar judge if, if you've heard any of these stories before. Uh, and I'll start in verse 1 and, and read quickly. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. There's that pattern again. The Lord had used two or three judges already to come deliver them, and then they just repeated the cycle. They fell back into the same cycle. They did evil inside the Lord, so the Lord delivered them. Watch this. The Lord delivered them. Into the hand of the of Midian, they were in the hand of the Lord, and then they did evil. So then the Lord said, "Okay, you were in my hand, you were in my protection, you were in my provision. Now I'm delivering you to the hand of the enemy. Those people that he decided to leave in the land to to test them, deliver them into the hand of Midian for seven years." And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens and the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. They, they started to hunker down. They were hiding out. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel. It's like I said, they were in the hand of God in his provision and his protection. And he gave them over to the enemy. And now all the crops and the things that they're trying to grow, the animals that they're, they're grazing and trying to get fat for, for their supper. The Midianites, the Amalekites are coming in and saying, nope, that's ours. We're taking that. You're in, our, you're in our territory now. And Israel, they, they had Israel just shaking in their boots, wondering, 
probably wondering where their next meal was going to come from. And watch this, verse 7. Well, go back up to verse 6 with me. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. There's an idea. (laughs) Verse 7, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you, gave you their land. And also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Isn't it amazing, though, this, we're already seeing this pattern, and like I said, I skipped over three or four other judges that already rose up, delivered them, and, but this pattern is so amazing to me that is immediately when the children of Israel decide, okay, we, we're feeling this pressure, we're feeling this oppression, and this poverty enough that we're going to remember the God who delivered us out of the hand of Egypt we're going to remember him and we're going to call on his name again. And it's so amazing to me the, the amount of times that they do that, the amount of times that they fall into their sin and then decide, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord again. And he's there. He's right there. He, he doesn't sit there with his arms crossed and say, nope, keep trying. <laughs> Wait, get your act together for a few years and then I'll, then I'll respond to you. Then I'll come back to you and pull you out again. But in that moment, he responds. And he sent a prophet. He sent the word of God through the man of God that says, look, you've messed up. You've you've disobeyed. You have some responsibility in this matter. But when you decide to serve me again, when you decide to obey, then I can take care of things in an instant. And verse 11, now a prophet came and said those things, and now the angel of the Lord came. Things are getting serious. He came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the uh, Abizrite, something like that, uh, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So Gideon, one of the uh, soon-to-be judges who we've, we've probably heard about before, he's, he's in this place of hiding because of the oppression of, of Midian. And this, this kind of, this passage is sort of where the Lord's been dealing with me for a while now, specifically. And I feel like this, this term specifically God's, uh, been challenging me with, and so I, I definitely don't feel um, adequate in in ministering it because I I don't have it figured out by any means. But uh, I feel like what what the Lord showed me that Gideon was doing in that place was he was in a place of self preservation, and uh, you know he 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 had just enough 
wheat probably for his family. For It doesn't really say how, how much, I don't think. He was just there threshing some wheat. But he knew that if the Midianites, if the Amorites caught wind of what he had, they were going to swoop back in and, and take it. So he's there in that place of hiding, just threshing his wheat. And then an angel of the Lord shows up to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. can only imagine Gideon's response and like, you have the right guy. <laughs> you know who you're uh, talking to. And Gideon said to him, he starts thinking in his natural mind logically because of where he came from, because of who his family was. And he said, oh, my Lord, if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are the miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And he says, have I not sent you? Sorry, I know this is a little bit of, little bit of reading here, but I feel like it's better than, than my own commentary. Uh, verse 15 says, again, Gideon responding in his, his natural mind says, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan or, or our tribe is it's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. You ever feel that way? Sometimes? Like, okay, Lord, we're in Yakima, <laughs> in Washington State, from the, you fill in the blank, family, <laughs> from this tribe. From this city. But the Lord came to Gideon and said, You're a mighty man of valor. And I could read, um, I'll, for sake of time, just sort of give you the summarized version, but long story short, and go, go back and read it. I encourage you to read the rest of chapter 6 and, and then 7 and 8, or all of Judges. <laughs> but at least those couple chapters finish out the story. But as the story goes, the uh, angel of the Lord tells him this and says, you know, I'm going to be with you and you're going to defeat the Amorites. They're going to be defeated at your hand. And so he goes and first thing he does is he's sent by the angel. He goes and he tears down one of the altars to Baal. And then he, he goes and he has this army of a few thousand people, but it still pales in comparison to the to the uh, Amorites or Malachites, whatever right it is, still pales in comparison to the thousands of them that are down in the uh, valley ready to come and take them at a moment's notice. But the Lord said, you still have too many people for this battle that I'm about to do. And so through only the <laughs> methods of the Lord, he dwindles down the the army gets it down to 300 men. And the reason for this, I, I think, is so amazing. The Lord says, I got to get it down so small. 
I have to get the numbers down to such a point that once, once you win this battle, that there's no way you can take credit for it yourself. Once you, once you get victory again, you're not going to say, look what I did. You know, I, I, I might have messed up before, but man, look at me now. Look how I was able to subdue the enemy and overcome it. And so the Lord made sure of that. And by the hand of the Lord, and, and if you haven't heard the story before, they go and they, they surround the, uh, the Amorites, I think it was. <laughs> now I need to look. They surround the Midianites. There, thank you. The Midianites on the mountaintops as they're in the valley. And just as 300 men, and they have, they have a torch in one hand and a pitcher in the other hand, and then they put that torch in the pitcher and... Uh, or they actually also have a, a horn, a horn and then a torch and a pitcher. And at the word of Gideon, they smash that, that pitcher and blow their horns. And, and it's amazing because Gideon in the valley, or Gideon, sorry, the Midianites in the valley look up, and, and I can only imagine they see these 300 flames of fire around them, and then they hear all these trumpets blowing and in their minds, they're like, man, we're surrounded. We have no chance. And they just start to, they just start to kill each other. The, the battle just starts to happen in the valley amongst themselves. And God delivered them. And they said that it was the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the, the Lord's been dealing with me about through this story for a few weeks now. And I, I think the main, kind of the main message or the main thread throughout this, this story that has been ministering to me is, you know, the pressures, the oppression of, of the world, the pressures of this world are, they're getting too hard for me to even try to say that I'm doing it on my own. I talked about it a few weeks ago, how we're, we're all earthen vessels, we're all clay pots that in the natural, we are, we should be crushed. We should be destroyed by the pressure of the world, by the things around us. But by the revelation of God and, and by His Spirit within us, we're not crushed. We're not, we're not oppressed. And it was, it was shortly after I, I spoke about that that the Lord brought me to this chapter and made me realize that they had... Gideon and his men, they had these clay pots, kind of like us, we're, how we're clay pots. And they had these clay pots with, with fire inside, the light inside. And as long as that, that light, that flame was inside of those clay pots and they're standing on the, the mountaintop, there's still just 300 men around thousands of Midianites. There's still nothing they can do. It's still dark. They're still in darkness. They're still feeling the, the weight and the pressure of the things going on around them and still looking at things in the natural because there's not much that they can see at that time. There's not much that's revealed of, of what God can do in that moment because it's, it's still just dark. But at the moment that they decided that they were going to be broken... And the moment that they decided they were going to surrender to, to God once again, because the oppression got so great, because the poverty got so great, 
And they got to the point that they knew, okay, if we're going to be delivered again, it's only going to be by the hand of God. If we're going to survive this again, it's only going to be by the hand of God. And so I feel like there's a, there's so many, there's probably dozens, but there's, I, I believe there's a spiritual parallel here in our time that as earthen vessels, as clay pots, you know, we can try so hard to, to just not be broken. We can try so hard to just, in our humanity, in our efforts, just, you know, keep that smile on our face, keep that, keep that front, keep that mask on, and look like everything's okay. When in reality, we, we know it's not. But the Bible talks about falling upon the rock. We know Jesus is the rock. The Bible talks about falling on that rock and being broken. And when we, when we get to that place of brokenness, you know, it seems like, we're, seems like we're broken and then we're defeated. But when we get to that place of brokenness and the light of the Holy Ghost is able to be loosed, the light of the Spirit is let out. And, and I think it's amazing, too, that they broke the pots, the light was revealed, and then they began to blow the, the horns that they had, the trumpets or whatever they were. They just began to blow those. And, I, and what I think of is, is praise. They just began to blow the trumpets, the horns, and, and praise the Lord for the victory that they didn't even know was going to happen yet. All they did was break these clay pots and started blowing horns. For all they knew, they could have just revealed their position, and <laughs> the Midianites could have just ran up and killed those few hundred men. But because they had surrendered once again to the hand of the Lord, because they decided once again they weren't going to try to do this in their humanity any longer, because they realized that the oppression of, of the enemy, the darkness of the world around them was, was too great to keep trying to do on their own, the hand of the Lord came back to them. The pastor at my, uh, my school where I went to college at the church there, he, he would always say this statement that with God, you're always the majority. Whether it's just you and God against the world, you're always the majority. Because the hand of God upon your life, the hand of God, and it was just talked about last week with Job, whether it's pain and difficulty, whether it's things of, of the enemy and things of the world that feels like, okay, God, where'd you go? How come we're not seeing the miracles like our fathers talked about? How come, how come you delivered us from Egypt and now we're in this place of bondage? You, I know, Lord, you set me free from, from drugs, from alcohol, from pornography, from you fill in the blank. I know, God, you set me free early on. But how come it feels like I'm back in a place of bondage? How come it feels like I'm back in a place where I can't do anything? And God's saying, well, <laughs> I left some things there. I left some of the Midianites, some of the Amorites, some of the Parasites, some of the Parasites. <laughs> I left some of those things there to, 
test you, to try you, not to destroy you, but to see and, and to say, if, okay, if I can endure this and, and then turn to God, I know that he can deliver me once again. I know he can set me free once again. He can restore all that was taken. He can restore the years once again. And I, I believe in, in this time where we are in the world, and I'm not saying this story in Judges is, is prophetic by any means, but I believe spiritually that there's so many in the church and the world today who they're saying, okay, God, we've seen things you've done in the past. And I've even said it myself in prayer. I said, God, do, are you even hearing me? You know, during this whole pandemic thing and with all the noise of the world. If we're not careful, we have so many voices and so much noise coming into our ears and in our mind that when we do reach out and, and speak to God, it feels like he's not hearing us because our mind is so filled with the noise of the world that we can't hear his response back. And I, I just see the Lord there in, in his sorrow I just see the Lord there in tears and in patience waiting, saying, you know, if they would only cry out to me one more time, if they would only reach to me one more time, if we would return to a place of prayer again, not a, not a once in, in a week prayer, not a once on a Sunday morning or Tuesday night type of prayer, it's obligatory because it's pre-service prayer, but a place of daily prayer, daily communing with God, because we know it's only by His hand that we can be delivered. It's only by His hand that we can see restoration, that we can see the world saved, we can see our families saved, that we can be kept through the trials and the tribulations that's happening. I'm not someone who believes that the church is going to go through the tribulation, but the Bible talks of tribulations already taking place. So there's a difference in the seven-year time of tribulation and then just tribulations. So you might be going through tribulations might be going through some things where you're in a place of self-preservation. You feel like you got to hide with your little bit of wheat and in the wine press and just on the threshing floor. But I believe that the time and there very well may be some persecution, some oppression. But I believe the time of the church being in a place of self-preservation is over. The, the time of, of the church hiding out, afraid of what our coworkers or our neighbors are going to say if, if they see that we fly the Jesus flag. You know, we're not afraid to put up a Trump sign or to put up a Biden sign or sticker on our car. But we can be so afraid to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus still. Yes, I still believe in the Word of God, and I believe there's still some absolute truths. 
and what the world is trying to do, what the noise of the Midianites is trying to do in the valley is trying to say, nope, you got to stay in your cave. You got to stay in your hole because that's the only place that you can be safe and we not find the little bit of provision that you still have left. And it's a lie from the enemy because the hour of the church is now and the time of the church is now where we have to fall upon the Lord and be broken and allow the light of the Holy Ghost to be loosed for this lost and dying world. And as that light is loosed from us, from these earthen vessels, as that light is loosed, it's not only going to reach and save our coworkers, but it's also going to bring victory in our situation. It's going to bring victory in our trial. When we, when we fall upon the rock and are broken, and then we blow that horn and praise and victory, the victory is going to come as we praise God in advance. As we say, you know what, God, I, I only see this small number. I only see the few 60 or so of us that are here today. But I believe in the Spirit, Lord, that spiritual utterance in my time of prayer is going far beyond even this four walls of this building. My spiritual utterance in a place of prayer is going out into these valleys and into Union Gap and Yakima and Selah. One of the most powerful things in this story is Gideon getting the revelation of who he was. He had to get the revelation that he was a mighty man of valor. It's not really a word we use anymore, but look it up. I, I don't really know what the definition of it is. But mighty, I know what that is. It's not weak. It's not frail. It's strong. And I, I, I just think of a mindset of a mighty man of valor. Think of David walking out on that battlefield in front of Goliath saying, I might only be a 15 or 16-year-old boy, but with the hand of God upon my life, I'm a mighty man of valor. And you might come to me with a sword and a spear, but when we have the name of the Lord, when we have the hand of the Lord upon our life, it doesn't matter a giant, it doesn't matter if it's a Midianite, doesn't matter if it's COVID, we have victory. Amen. We have victory. Why don't we stand this morning? I'm going to, we might not be finished yet, but why don't we stand in a physical posture of agreement with the Word of God, in agreement with what God is going to do in your life and mine. Why don't we agree with our brother and our sister that, you know what, they might be going through it, they might be feeling the pressure of the world, but if I'll fall upon the rock, if I'll be broken with the hand of God on my life, I'm a mighty man, I'm a mighty woman of valor, and I'll have victory in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, we praise you in advance for every victory today. We praise you in advance, oh God, for what you're going to do in these end times. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah.
if you will change your mindset today and, and walk out of here, before you even walk out of here, but I'll walk out of here with the realization and understanding that you are on the battlefield. Now, whether you want to admit that or not, you are. We are on the there, there was an old song that people used to sing, I'm on the battlefield fighting for the Lord. I'm on the battlefield fighting for the Lord. You can stay standing. Brother Timothy, if you'll put John chapter 12, verse 25 up there. A couple of words that as Brother Hart was ministering, the Lord was just making these resound in my ears. But... He, he used the word surrender. And if you, if you stay there in that, in that uh, context of the, that battle against Midian, where, as he said, they were on a hill surrounding the enemy, but there was only 300 of them, and all, for all they knew, they could be giving up their position and, in a sense, surrendering, but really asking for death. If they realize this is me and this is where I am, they're going to come, be able to come right for me. <laughs> but it, it, in essence, think of it, you're one of those 300. Imagine you are one of those 300 left. Knowing that you started with tens of thousands of you and the Lord said, no, I want it to just be you and you and you. And you're one of them. Now, if it was me, I'd be thinking about those lucky thousands that they don't, they're not here. They're not about to go through with whatever's about to happen to us. But I guarantee you, the mindset once you're on the battlefield is... You know, I, I, I do sports, okay? That's kind of my, all my analogies mostly go back to that. And they have this saying, especially, have anybody seen, ever seen the Pro Bowl in football? It's like not a real game. It's to all the best players, but it's not a real game. And, and, and they talk about how if you're not playing for real, you're at more risk of injury. That's what I've always heard. You either go 100% or you're at more risk of injury. And you're, you're on the battlefield, and you either go 100%, or you are going to be at more risk of whatever the enemy has in store for you. Because if I just let down my guard, I am much more susceptible to everything the enemy, enemy wants to bring. But see, we, we're saying at the same time, keep your guard up and surrender. How am I supposed to do that? I'm surrendering to God. I'm surrendering to Him with 24-7 of my life. Everything about me, I'm surrendering that to Him. And if that means, He says, blow your trumpet and give up your position for the enemy. Okay, now I'm either going to listen to that because I'm surrendered to Him, or I'm going to say, no way, you're crazy. And disobey, and that's not the place you want to be. 
So he says it right here in John 12. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Imagine you're one of those 300 on the hill and you, you hear the command, blow the trumpet and shout, and you, you realize, no, that's asking for death. And you start to think about, but I, I, I've got these certain elements of my life that I'm not ready to surrender. I'm not ready to give this up and see that go. And you know what? I think 299 sounds pretty good. You guys can probably handle that. I'm just going to sit back because I love my life. I'm going to retreat. The Bible says he that loveth his life will lose it. That's asking for defeat. Holding on to little things that I just love so much. I'm ready to give the Lord 95%, but I've got this 5% that I just love so much. I'm going to hold on to it. He that loveth his life shall lose it. You can go ahead and try to maintain that 5% that you love enough and miss out. Really, that is... If you believe the Bible, that's what it's saying. He will lose it. And not lose it in a good sense. That means death will lose the life. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. I'm telling you what, I'm convinced that there's not enough of the church that hates enough of the world. I like comfortable shoes. And as long as I can buy them, I'm going to be buying them. I like... I can go down that road for a while. See, we look at things that we love. And I'm... You know, Lord, you're asking me to give up the thing that I love. I mean, I don't have much, but I like this. I at least get to go and do this you know, as a part of my schedule and my routine, and I don't think I'm ready to give that up yet. If that's me, this is my verse. If I don't hate my life in this world. Now, I listen, I'm not talking about taking on a mindset of, woe is me. No, we, are, we have the joy. We have joy him he is joy we have him i there's not much that i have to be sad about i'm not talking about a sad countenance today i'm talking about what do i try to maintain hold of in my life and just think well this brings me enough joy i can't let that go i get enough satisfaction out of this i can't let that go choices do you want this life or do you want life eternal and you're on the battlefield and that's the thing about the battlefield is that at any moment the life ending blow can come you can deliver it or it can be delivered against you that's just that's just a fact of being in the battle 
Now, if I, if I know that, and at any moment, if the general says charge, and I'm going to charge, I'm putting my life in his hands. If the general says charge, and I retreat, I'm taking my life into my own hands. And there's not enough people that don't like the sound of that. Sorry, I'm not trying to be mean. But we think I can preserve enough. I can preserve, I can maintain just enough to get me through, and I'm happy with that. That is a lie. You can't do one thing on your own. You can't. You might think you can, and you might get away with following that deceit for a season. Why don't we pray? Lord, God, I acknowledge you as my King, as my Lord. Lord, in this battle, I'm listening for your command. God, you've chosen each one of us here today. You've placed us in this place in your kingdom. God, you've called us for this time and for this season in your kingdom. Lord, and you have supernatural power. You have supernatural provision, Lord. All that I need, I can find it in you. All that I need, God, I can find it in you. Lord, I am examining my life today. God, I want you to lay it out before me and show me what areas am I holding on to. What areas of my life am I trying to maintain control, Lord, and not hating it in this world? Jesus, my goal is to live with you for all eternity. My goal is to make it to heaven, Lord, when you choose for my time on this earth to be done. That's my goal, Lord. Jesus, you're the one that knows the way. You are the way. You are the way. You are the life. Jesus, I lay my life down. This altar's open if you want to come and find a place and pray, but I'm encouraging you. Get alone with God for a minute. Get alone with God for a time and let Him speak to you. Let Him lead you. Let Him assure you. Come on, He's going to give you assurance today and let you know you're on the battlefield. My life is in your hands, Lord. My life is in your hands, Lord. In the name of Jesus, let's pray, church. Let's pray.
Come on, there's strength for the battle here today. There's strength for the battle here today. There's direction here today. He's going to get you through it. He's going to take you through it. Put your life in His hands. Put your life in His hands today. In the name of Jesus.
And there's no fear when you're in the battle. No fear when you're fighting for the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, strengthen your people today. Strengthen your people today, O God. I pray direction right now, Lord. I pray direction, Lord Jesus. You're ordering the steps, O God. You're ordering the steps. Take us to a place of surrender, Lord. Take us to a place of surrendering, Lord Jesus. Lord, I lay my life down before you. I lay my life down before you, Jesus. I give you control, Lord God. I give you control, Lord God. Jesus, take my life in your hands. Take my life in your hands, Lord God. Make of it what you would. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I surrender to you, Lord. I surrender to you, Lord Jesus.
say one more thing before we are dismissed today. Brother Hart actually somewhat alluded to this at the beginning. And I was, my mind went back to when these children of Israel came out of Egypt and, and the Lord was using Moses and Moses was trying to lead these people. And his father-in-law comes to him and says, what you're doing for them is not good. What you're doing for the people is not good. What do you mean? I just brought him out of Egypt and I'm leading them through this wilderness. Now I'm just trying to hear from God and follow it. And he says, no, you are taking on too much of their responsibility. You, the man of God, you're taking on their weight. And he says, appoint captains and put them over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. And what he said, this is what, what stuck out to me. Every great matter you shall judge. So you're still going to be the voice over those great or significant, important decisions but he said every small matter they shall judge and when I when I felt the Lord say that every small matter there is not a decision hear me there's not a decision and you can take this as literal as you want there's not a decision you could make that you don't need to be seeking God about. Every small matter. I don't, I don't doubt that there were some people coming up to Moses and saying, where should my family go eat today? <laughs> and Moses is sitting there thinking, I, I'm trying to deal with this and this and this and this. It's not that your matter is not important. This issue is important. And so the Lord had worked to set an authority structure so that every issue could be addressed. And what I feel the Lord telling us today is you need to, we need to be considering every decision and judging every decision. Now you've, You've got to do that for yourself first. It starts there. It doesn't start with you coming to me or anybody else. You don't call your friend on the phone. Hear me? I don't make me keep you here longer than you want to. That's what my teachers used to tell me. No, I'm, not, I'm trying to be kind. But you need to make decisions for yourself. And you need to be judging those decisions. Knowing. And then... What happens when you judge something? We have this whole court system, right? And you appeal something and you appeal something higher and higher. So it starts with you. And if you don't know or if you don't like the outcome of your own decision, then you can take it up a level. That's the order. That's the, that's the system that the Lord established with his people all the way back then. Every small matter... You judge. 
If if I am just letting things go left and right, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about this. I can't give time to this. I can't think about that. What the problem is, I'm not judging these decisions. And what they, you ever heard of this thing called death by a thousand paper cuts? That's when you just let one little thing go and one little thing go and one little thing. And before you know it, you got a life that's a mess. You got a, you got a mountain of problems because you're not just dealing with one thing at a time the way that the Lord wants you to. So I'm encouraging you today. Start judging every small matter. If you get home and you think, well, it's 1 o'clock. This is what we normally do at 1 o'clock. But maybe I shouldn't be doing that every day at 1 o'clock. Stop and think. That's what you do. You're judging it. And you're giving consideration. If somebody calls you and you think, well, they call me every week around this time. And then they complain a little bit. Or they just want to share, you know, and and I always feel down afterwards. Stop and think and judge that matter and decide how much am I going to give to this? I'm just trying to help us. Every small matter. Why don't we stand? Lord, I thank you for being here today. I thank you for ministering to us today, God. I thank you for sharing your word with us. I thank you for the strength of this body, Lord God, and the strength of the fellowship of your body that we feel here today. God, I pray that you would take these things that you've ministered to us, Lord. Continue to let them grow in our spirit, Lord. Let them be fostered in our mind and in our spirit, Lord, so that the word of God would increase. I want to see an increase of the Word of God in my life. Jesus, use these things that you've shared today. Use them in my life, God. Let them bring forth fruit. Let them be productive in my life, Jesus. Lord, I put my life in your hands. Lord, I'm seeking you for every decision. I'm seeking you, God, and and seeking your righteousness first and foremost, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I thank you today, God. Why don't we give him some thanks before we leave? I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to me. I thank you, Lord, for ministering to me. I thank you for giving me strength today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm encouraging you. Take this unity that you feel here. And just because you leave, it doesn't mean you're no longer a part of this. Let the, let the spirit and the unity of God be your strength for this day and for this week. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Hallelujah. Greet one another as you go.